Welcome to the Greg Ferraselli Podcast. We are brokers and investors working heavily in the real estate game and have met extraordinary people along the way who are doing amazing things to help their peers and their communities grow. We are excited to give you revolutionary ways to live your best life. Tyler, welcome to the Greg Ferraselli Podcast. Uh, owner of the Cobble Group started back in 2013. You have... Uh, very high selling book on Amazon. Tell us a little bit like about what the Cobble Group does as a whole. Yeah, awesome, Greg. Thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. So uh, the Cobble Group is was my first company. It's a commercial real estate brokerage that focuses on leasing and sales for office, retail, and industrial real estate. Um, I also have Parasol Property Management, which I started shortly after that that company. That focuses on managing office, retail, industrial, and multifamily assets. And then I have my investment and development company, which is called Hamilton. Gotcha. So that one does uh, syndications. It raises capital. It goes out and puts deals together. And then we also develop. So we've got you know, everything from a small six-bay car wash conversion to micro restaurants going on in East Nashville, about a $1.5 million deal, to a – we just closed two weeks ago on an $18 million piece of property in Madison – uh, that we're going to master develop into about one and a half million square feet of, of mixed use commercial. So a little bit all over the place. That's awesome. So, I mean, I think that you're probably one of the people that I know do syndications pretty much more than anyone. I have a lot of people that ask me questions because I'm very little bit in that space, but I don't have the experience you do. Maybe we do a dig dive to syndication. I'd love to be able to talk to everybody about that. Um, so if I'm seeing a syndication, like what, what makes me, what during a deal makes me think, Hey, I need to syndicate this. Yeah. So really, if you're going to be raising money from more than three or four people, uh, you really need to do a syndication. Okay. So what is the difference then? Why, why that threshold? Yeah. So it's, there's, there's a, uh, it gets a little complicated with the sec and how they govern what is and what is not a security. Okay. Because if we had a group of 10 friends that, that all um, you know wanted to throw money in together, uh, we could do that and not syndicate if, if we've been together for a while. But really when you need to syndicate is when there is one party that is going to have absolutely no say in the day-to-day operations of the property and they're just investors. So if you have anybody that's just giving you capital and you're going to do the deal, really that's, that's a syndication. So basically, you have a part of a deal that needs some funding, whether it's the initial takedown or development, and you raise money through people to be able to take that portion down. But they're limited partners. They have no say in anything. They know the project, but they don't deal with any of the operations. They're strictly giving you funds. That's correct. Yeah, they are. They're actually defined as limited partners. So, you know. I've, I've got several deals where we have two, three, four, five partners in them, and those are not syndications because everybody's sitting around the table making decisions. So that's more of a joint venture yeah, or similar, partnership. Yeah, more, yeah, partnership, joint venture. There's several different ways that you could really structure that. There's one person that's always going to be the managing member, and they are really the one calling the shots. Uh, but there are, you know, there can be some overrides and some major decisions that have to be made as a group together, whereas in a syndication, uh, with a general partner and a limited partner, the general partner is calling the shots and the limited partner is along for the ride. Okay, so the limited partner is along for the ride. They bring in their cash. Um, so I guess let's start with them. Where do you find those people and how do you know where you need to like bring in three to four to five and turn it into a JV to a syndication? So it, for me, it depends on the scope and the size of the project. 
So, you know, we just uh, did one in Chattanooga. It was a, it was two buildings. Uh, one's three stories, one's nine stories, about 41,000 square feet. The project was, uh, we acquired it for $1.8 million and we'll be putting another three to $4 million into it. Okay. Right. And so, you know, for me to go raise the, the 25% that I need to do that, that, that deal, I'm going to have to find one person that can write a really big check. Right. Well, that's not always feasible. Whereas, you know, what we did is we went out and we found a bunch of people that could write 25, 50 or a hundred thousand dollar checks. And so it's, it's much easier that way to just to go out and put the capital together. Cause not everybody knows a guy that can write a check like that. So what I'm hearing is you have this gap of say $250,000, right? You have people that put in a, whatever, maybe it's a minimum. Maybe you have a minimum of people bring in like 50 grand, right? Mm-hmm. And they get, is, do they get the equal equity that in the deal as they cash they bring in? So if I bring in, you know, 25%, maybe I get 25% of part of the equity. How does that equity stake work with the limited partner? Totally depends. So there's yeah. any number of ways to do it. We've done it where the amount of capital that we had to bring to, to the table as a uh, proportionate share of the total mm-hmm. cost of the project ended up. So we had to raise 30% of gotcha. the money and the equity ended up, or the, the, Limited partners got thirty percent equity in the project. Like a thirty percent stake divided up between whoever. Yeah, that's right. Whoever got put it. capital into it, they split up thirty percent of the equity. What is the advantage? What is in it for them? Do they get paid monthly? Like, what do you do? Like, you just take the money and wait for a return. Like, how does that work for the investor? Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's a bunch of different ways that that it benefits them. They get the um, you know depreciation and write offs, of course, okay. from from real estate, right? Because that's it's an investment vehicle that yep. you know. It's and unlike have, any other. And they have a percentage, so they have a percentage of everything. That's right. Uh, you know, that deal also had a preferred return. So okay. whether the deal makes money or not, every year they're getting a certain percent return on their money. And then they also get to participate in the quarterly cash flows of the project. Okay. So and they, then as the project appreciates, when we sell it, they get to participate in that equity share of that sale. And I'm assuming also in a refi, they get their cash out back. That's exactly right. So, okay. So let's just talk about a refi for a second. So... You're going to refi a building and now you're going to have pull that equity out. Do you pay these limited partners off and keep the building? Or is this something where you're like, you pay them off and they stay in the deal and keep making money? Or how does that work with the investors? It's both. It depends on, you know, so we have uh, what I like to call wealth building plays and velocity of capital plays. Mm. So the wealth building plays is like that one we did in Chattanooga. That's going to be at least a 10 year minimum hold. Because we know it's coming to downtown Chattanooga. We want to sit there for a while. Uh, we also have velocity of capital plays. Those are typically three to five years. And we want to get the investors in and out with a return on their capital as quickly as possible so they can roll it into the next deal. Sure. So it, it totally depends on what kind of deal you're going for. Some hmm. investors love the wealth building and some want the cash flow. So it kind of just depends on, on your investor base. Yeah, and there's a lot of investors I hear too that, you know, a lot of high wealth investors will actually kind of do something like this to actually do nothing but depreciate or have a loss. I mean, there's, I've seen syndications where people are actually going in for a a loss. That's right. That loss. Yeah, they just, so they're trying to shelter income because they have so much cash flow coming from these other entities, whether that's an active business or or other other real estate portfolios. So it's not always about making actual income, it's about reducing taxes and everything else at the that's, same time. that's right because really that is uh it, it is giving you income in a, in a different way right and it's taxed a lot different too right okay so you know your investors they they put in some money they're able to get their equity they get the cash flow they get depreciation all that 
So, and they have nothing to say. So basically they're pretty silent and they get that return. So that's the limited partner. Now you said the general partner. Now what, who decides who's the general partner is that usually I would assume that that's the person that finds the deal. That's right. So it's whoever's going to find the deal and put it together, right? Yeah. And there's any number of things that, that that could really entail. So I guess maybe that person actually putting their name on the contract and putting some earnest money would definitely constitute for a GP. Right. I mean, that, it, it, it certainly could, right? So it's it's a little more complex than that. I've seen people that you know just go out and put the deal under contract and then they'll take their share as an LP because they can't really pull it off or they don't have mm-hmm. the capital to pull it off. They don't have the investors um, or the experience, right? So- you know the the GP is are really the ones that are going to go out there and they're gonna they're gonna do all the due diligence on it. They're gonna put together the plan. They're gonna bring the investors together. They're gonna go. They're gonna be the ones signing on the loan, right? Because the limited partners don't sign on the loan typically. I mean, uh, uh, you may see that every now. So and then. So is that like a second lead position with them? Uh, with with the, who? And the the LPs. No, 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 no. So so the LPs are equity. So Got there's it. there's no lean position or anything like that. I mean, they're they're equity partners. So that's why they get a higher return than a bank yeah. would. You can refinance your money and pay your investors off. Um, you know, since they are technically equity, it just depends on how you structure it on the front end. Right. Um, you could, you know, more typically what you'll see is that after a refinance, which we call a capital event, that could also be a sale, a refinance or a sale or a capital event. Sure. Uh, typically, after one of those, you'll return the the capital to the limited partners, mm-hmm. and they will then uh, stay in the deal at their same equity percentage. So, you know, there are different hurdles that can be set up in order to uh, you know make your equity feel comfortable with the deal. So, one thing that you'll commonly see is that the investors will get a preferred rate of return. So, let's say eight percent on their money every year, no matter what. And uh, they'll get that 8% preferred rate of return until 100% of their capital is back. Mm. And then they split it with the GP 50-50. Gotcha. So they get paid back. uh, They get paid back accelerated, basically. That's correct. And then they kind of even more. Now, everybody's got the same amount of money in it now. That's right. So we we recently just did a deal where um, we, as the GP, will not be taking any distributions until we have paid the LP up back a hundred percent. Yeah. And you know, um, another thing that I've heard that is good for a GP is to actually put some of their money as a share, as a limited partner, because the limited partners like that the GP has skin in the game. That's exactly right. I mean, the, even, even if an LP or I'm sorry, even if a GP doesn't put capital up, they do have skin in the game, right? Cause they're the ones signing on the note. True. So if anything yep. goes wrong, they're the ones that are going to get sued. They're the ones that are going to get foreclosed upon. They're the, the ones that will suffer the consequences. Uh, the limited partners just lose their capital right? in a worst case scenario. Sure. Right. But the, the general partners, they, they'll actually go after you. Um, as a uh, as the GP, you definitely want to put capital into your deals. I mean, I typically put the, the minimum ask into my deals just to show that. It's, yeah. it's to show that, hey, I have capital skin in the game too. Sure. So if we're asking a $100,000 minimum, we'll put in at least $100,000. If we're asking a $50,000 minimum, we put in at least yeah. $50,000. So it just it just depends. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times, so the GP, they're doing due diligence. They're getting a loan put together. They're finding investors. They're, they're doing everything. I mean, and then they close on the deal. What, do they get anything for their time to like to actually spend the six months to a year to get the deal together? How does that work out? Yeah, so that depends on a case by case basis um, with the different syndication groups. You know, we we haven't traditionally. Uh, well, I guess it's not true. I mean, most of the time we do not take an acquisition fee 
Okay. Uh, but now, now that I have a team, uh, I will be taking an acquisition fee because I've got a researcher and an analyst who is full time working on this to make sure that we know exactly what we're getting You're into. You're spending money. I've got a project manager and a, and a designer that that's a hundred percent of the time. That's what he is doing. So we're spending a lot of money. And so uh, those costs, um, the acquisition fee, typically somewhere between, you know, one to 3%. Uh, again, it'll depend on the size of the deal. And that's to, to cover my costs and to pay for our time and to give us a little bit of a reward for putting the deal together. Gotcha. So I, as far as raising money to do a syndication, a lot of people do, like you said, the commercial buildings, the apartments. Can someone raise capital to do a development deal? Same reason. Maybe I need to get 30%. I got to take the dirt down and then the bank wants 30% and then we have reserves. Can you raise money to do development deals or is that only just for like a cash flowing type of asset? No, you can actually raise capital to do any kind of deals. Okay. Uh, you know, Bruce Peterson, the apartment guy who's a mentor of mine, is a partner of mine. He likes to make the joke that you can, you can syndicate a Snickers bar, right? Like it doesn't have to be an investment that makes any sense. It doesn't have to make any sense at all. Uh, but and there's no rules or regulations that go into that as long as you're as to what you can buy or what you can syndicate. No, but there's a whole lot of rules and regulations around how to do it properly. And it, you know, the, there's the, what you can and can't say. Sure. There's a ton of, cause I mean, it, this is technically a security, which means it is regulated by the securities and exchange commission. And uh, that is not a group that you want to mess around with and get in any trouble with. So what do you do in that situation? Is there a certification or something? Do you have to go through an account? Like how do you get, how do you cover yourself liability as doing something like that? You have to have an attorney. You so have you have to an have attorney draw it up. A specific syndication attorney. Yep. So they, they draft everything. They will submit it to the SEC um, as a security. And it's, I mean, it's public filings. I mean, you can go back and look at um, anybody's security, right? So that, that's been uh, the controversy around Grant Cardone for the last couple of years is that <laughs> right. his... You know, you can go in and look at the returns that he's given his investors. Um, and so, you know, I mean, that's been in the spotlight, obviously, because of the lawsuits and stuff. But, I mean, that's it's out there for the public to see. That's not like a certification or anything like that, right? Mm -hmm. So you have the attorney that handles the syndication attorney that handles putting the deal together that, that makes sense and everybody agrees to or whatever. That's right. I mean, that's why it's so important that you work with somebody that has experience and a good track record. Right, because really anybody can come out and do it if they hire an attorney. They don't necessarily have to have experience. They don't have to go through the certification. And it's then like they can kind of help you make sure you're saying and doing the right thing to get the capital. Also, I'm assuming that's right. You got to be very careful about what you say. Yeah. So like, there's there's two different kinds of syndications. You have a 506B and a 506C. Okay. 506B is friends and family. Okay. Which means anybody that I have a, that I can prove a pre-existing relationship with may invest. They do not have to be accredited. Right. And uh, if I'm going to do a 506C, it has to be an accredited investor. Okay. So what's an accredited investor? So an accredited investor is uh, the, the definition changes from time to time. And I, I'm probably not 100% accurate, but I believe it's you have to have had, you have to have made $200,000 a year for the last two years, mm -hmm. or you have a million dollar net worth excluding your personal residence. Okay, so million dollars and basically cash and assets. So it doesn't have to be liquid. I would assume it's a net worth, I guess. Not, way, right? not necessarily. It's one or the other. Okay. If, you, if you make $200,000 a year, but your net worth is 50. Is that uh, regulated in any way? So you do have to third party verify that they are accredited. So oh, I mean, okay. there, there are some ways. So where, that attorney will find, will vet the LPs, I guess, right? 
Uh, we don't have the attorney do it because that would get really expensive, but there are third-party like online websites and platforms that, that will take care of all of that for you. Gotcha. So you have to pre-qualify your investors like you would a buyer. That's exactly like You right. have to make sure that they are who they say they are and they can do – and they have the knowledge to be able to – uh, have the mindset to do the deal. Yeah, and we approach that on the front end. That way we don't get, you know, documents signed and wires right. transferred and then we find out, oh, well, you actually can't even be an investor in, in this deal and we've counted their capital towards our raise. Right. Uh, so we try to knock that out very quickly on the front end. Yeah. But in a 506B, I cannot go to market. I cannot advertise that offering. I cannot tell anybody about it that is not a pre-existing relationship. I can send it to my email list and I can, you know, mail it to my friends and family. I can call everybody about it. Uh, 506C, you can actually advertise on Facebook. You can advertise wherever you want. You can let the public know. It doesn't matter because you're, you're, you can take anybody in a 506C. They just have to be accredited. Interesting. Yeah. So they're, they're two very different types. 90% of the time. So you almost see, start at like a C. Because you're getting to, you get the investors and it almost turns into B relationships after you've done some deals. So I guess... You have a lot. You have a lot of the B side over time. I'm assuming, unless you're always trying to find new people and you have a lot of projects. Yeah, I actually recommend you start off with a 506B. Really, 506C is a lot, lot more difficult um, because not many people are credited. So I guess it's like your. That's basically your network anyway. Those are the people you probably would want to work with anyway. Exactly. I mean, and, and for your first deal, I mean, my first raise was I think four hundred fifty thousand dollars. I mean, it wasn't much. And so, you know, you think about how many people you've got to go get if you're getting $50,000 from, you know, it's nine people, right? Like, go out and find nine people that have $50,000, your chances of that are pretty good. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to go out and find, you know, nine people that are making $200,000 a year or have a million dollar note, it's really, really difficult. So, uh, and the other thing too is your friends and family trust you, right? Like, they've known you for a long time, they know your track record, they've seen what you've done. You know, an accredited investor, yeah, you may be able to go raise capital from strangers, but also you're trying to get a stranger to give you a hundred thousand dollars. Plus, I don't want to—I don't know if I want to deal with this stranger for the next X amount of years. Yeah, either. <laughs> that's the other thing is like you have no idea what their personality is or how they're going to act in your deal. I mean, we we regularly turn investors away because we don't feel that they're a fit for the project, and yeah. and and that could be anything from like, you know, we've got an attitude from them on, on a certain project or they ask yeah. too, way too many questions. Yeah. There's a threshold of, you know, asking <laughs> the right questions and then asking what color paint we're going to do. Yeah. And then passive means passive. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, and it's, and it's, you know, what, what, what I try and tell my investors on the front end is like, look, we will get you monthly updates and quarterly financial reports. Other than that, please don't contact me. And and except for outside of that day, because I'm working on making your project profitable. Right. I'm working on your investment. Yeah. You're and not. I need to spend. Her. I need to spend my time doing that. I need to spend my team's time doing that. I can't have everybody answering an email about you know what we're going to do with the hedges out front. Stuff like that. Right. I mean, it's it's silly. Yeah. Um. So you know that's that's why and that's why it's structured that way. Yeah. I mean, you you, you that's your expertise. So you should be doing that, and they should exactly. trust you to do that. Yeah. I mean, we, we try and cover it on the front end and, and we'll have a webinar on the front end and, and try to answer any and all questions. And of course stuff is going to come up, but it's not like I'm going to you know text somebody back and say, don't, don't call me, you know? Uh, but I will say, Hey, look, here's the answer. Please just, you know, hold everything till the end of the month when we have reporting day, because you know, I've got, I've got a number of these projects going on. I don't have to right. just sit around and answer questions. Right. That's awesome. Uh, so on your first syndication deal, you, that 450, let's say, did you hire that attorney right away to go ahead and make that for you on the first deal? 
Or was, oh, absolutely. You you, you have to. You ha- you ha- absolutely have to. Now, do they give you advice on helping you with the deal at all? Or this is completely just to make sure you're covered for liability? Just to make sure you're covered. So I have a real estate attorney as well. Okay. So there's two attorneys gotcha. involved. And then three if you're looking at title. Right? Well, but my, yeah. my real estate attorney handles title as well. So I, I get both. So what does a real estate attorney actually do? So the real estate attorney helps me put the contract together, negotiate the contract. They'll review all of the, the phase one environmentals. They'll review the PCAs. There's any number of things that they will review just to help us make sure that we are legally covered. So you're basically putting an LOI out like a basic, hey, we want to do this. And then when it comes to an agreement, then the lawyer kind of makes makes a, a contract and works out through all the way through the deal. That's right. And there, there have been multiple times where they added things into a contract that you know I never would have thought of that really ended up saving us. And it's, it's worth the money, and I don't pay them until closing because I have a good relationship with them now. Right. And so either the deal has to fall apart, and then I have to pay them, or we do it at closing. And typically with the way that it works, I get reimbursed at closing for any of the expenses that we have out of pocket. So I don't even actually end up paying my attorney. Sure. The syndication does. Right. So as far as hiring a real estate attorney, do you necessarily need one if the GP knows the asset really well, like an apartment building? You know, maybe there's somebody that specializes in one thing. Like I, you know... I maybe know what I want on my contracts for something like that. Would I necessarily need a real estate attorney for something like that? Absolutely. I mean, you can tell who is actually an expert at what they do because they hire the professionals to surround them that are experts at everything else. Right. So I'm a, I'm a real estate developer. I'm not an attorney. So I'm not, I'm not, and I don't play one on TV. So I'm not going to try and go through all that. I, I'm not an engineer, so I'm not going to go do a structural report. Right. Just because I can inspect a building doesn't mean that I don't think a, a professional could go through it and see something I don't. So, you know, I've got leasing agents and I've got property right. managers and I've got, you know, designers and I've got architects. I mean, this and that, I hire all that Everything out. out. Yeah, because, you know, think about it. My highest and best use of my time is to go out and find the next deal and put it together. Right. It's not getting stuck in the weeds trying to lease to a 500 square foot tenant. Right. Um, and people do that all the time and it, and it amazes me. Um, so, you know, because they're, they're trying to save, you know, pennies and they're stepping over dollars. Yeah. Tyler, I, I'm so happy that you came. Thanks for coming to the Greg Ferriselli podcast. Where can people find you if they have questions about, you know, any commercial real estate or development specifically? Yeah, Greg, appreciate it, man. I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation about syndication. But, you know, the best way to find me is on Instagram okay. at, at commercial in Nashville. Uh, that's, you know, you can go to my website as well, tylercobble.com, but I'm always on Instagram. Um, I'll respond to every DM. So if you have any questions about syndication, you have any questions about commercial real estate, feel free to reach out to me there. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you.